Welcome to Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and equips you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I am not just saying that I'm terrible at sports. I genuinely am terrible. All of my friends were like, they played every sport. And so I thought because they played sports, maybe osmosis would kick in and I would just sometimes be good at it. But I tried every single one of them and I was turned down in tryouts for every single one of them. I got up early for basketball and I didn't even make the first cut. Like, I am terrible. So I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, what else can I do? Track. Everyone, no one's kicked off of track, right? So I tried like all the things. I eventually tried hurdles. It turns out that's why there's a reason that obstacles sometimes translated into hurdle because it's really hard to get over them sometimes. So I couldn't do hurdles, obviously. And so running, okay, cross country. I'm not fast, so running for long distances, that doesn't sound like too terrible. You're on a you know, straight path track. There's nothing in your way. There's no rocks even, unless you're training and that's terrible because they take you through hills. So I did track and field and it was great. And I learned so much about teamwork during that season, but my favorite thing, my favorite thing about this is that God has almost all throughout scripture talked about perseverance, endurance, teamwork. He's talked about this element of team and what that looks like for the body of Christ. And I never fully experienced that until I was on one. And now track and field is a little different. You play by yourself, but this incredible thing is starting to take place in America. You know, With Kobe Bryant's death, we lost, uh, in his own right, a legend to his sport. He not only was some person, some one, who brought thousands upon thousands of people to admire the game, but he inspired so many more to play it. My boys know Kobe Bryant. I had heard of him. I knew that he was really good. I was thankful for his influence I didn't follow him. I couldn't quote you statistics like my 11-year-old could at four years old because he was watching ESPN. But my Michael Jordan was his Kobe Bryant. And it inspired something so deep inside of him that a child who has been bred from birth to play baseball by my husband, who cannot play soccer because that was also from birth, a birthright, you cannot do that, is now wanting to try basketball. I love this. It's, it's inspirational. When you're so good at something, when a team is so good at something that it inspires generations of kids and fathers to play with their sons or girls, because girls rock, right? I love it that God can do something with one person or with one team that has a ripple effect across an entire country. And we've seen that over and over this week. We've seen it. I was thinking about that with this message today. I was thinking about the game, the big game, right? Today's the big game <clears throat> for, you know, the, the two teams that made it. Congratulations. <laughs> really excited for those two teams. They're going to do so good. I'm real mom proud. Um, I won't be there for the food. That's okay. <laughs> Everyone has their sport, right? Uh, I am so excited because this idea of teamwork, this is us. This is the body of Christ. This is church. And... I want to bring our attention to that through a few scriptures today, if you don't mind. Before we do, I was researching (laughs) football. It's fine. Listen, I was in marching band in high school, so I got to be a spectator a lot of the time, but I didn't actually play, obviously. So marching band, the great thing about football is sometimes the football is actually thrown in your section, and you have to throw it back. So I throw a football in high school. (laughs) 
Um, it was really thrown at us a couple times. That's fine. In football, there are spectators, a lot of them. There are people who volunteer in the snack shack. There are crowds that come from all over, literally spending thousands upon thousands of dollars, right, to come and see this great game. And then there are people who are lining up outside. There's vendors. There's tailgate parties. There's so many people that have come to watch. But there are few people that have come to play. There are few people that show up Monday night, Sunday. Do you like how I know some of these times? And <laughs> I actually impressed myself. I think there's a Friday. I don't know. I'm not certain. They show up in a jersey to say either as a coach, as a mentor, as someone on the field, that I am present, that I'm here, that we're here to play. And it's serious. We're not taking this lightly because guess what? We've practiced for this day. And I love that about sports. I love that as a team, it's not one player. It's everyone shows up with a unifying jersey and says, we have practiced and prepared for this moment. And they show up. Now, some are injured on the bench. They're rooting for their teammates. Some are coaches just, you know, talking. I feel like in the church, maybe Rich is a coach because he just, he's really good at the talking part. He's good at a lot of things, actually. Uh, and then there are people on the field, running backs, other backs. <laughs> this is, I'm trying. I, there are different positions, we'll say. <laughs> there are positions all over the field. Don't tell Rich about that one positions all over the field that have practiced their ability, the thing that they are so gifted in doing, they have practiced it over and over and over again for the big game. And I love this because I feel this sometimes in church. You know, a spectator, a crowd, somebody who is just looking affects nothing. And I've been in a room with people watching a TV screaming and encouraging the players, and I'm going to tell you something, it affects nothing. Not one player has ever made the decision that they told them that they should make over a television. <laughs> it affects nothing. You want to know who does affect the game? People who showed up to play. The coaches who showed up time and time and time again to speak life and truth and honesty into these players and wisdom. That's who affects the game. Friends, there is actually a game going on. A Super Bowl, yes, at three-something today. But there is actually a game. It says in scriptures that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. And what does that boil down to? There's a battle over souls every single day. There's a game that's happening. And God is calling a church to rise up and play, to get on the field and put on a jersey and do something about it because there are so many people wasting away. There is a game over souls that Satan has showed up for you. I'm going to tell you that. It says that he roars around or he prowls around like a roaring lion. He prowls. He just watches how he can destroy people. There is a game, and it's time to show up. In Romans, our first scripture, Paul writes this. Romans chapter 10. It says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God, prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Romans who were Jews who have not accepted the Messiah. He says, I have a burning in my heart that they would actually come to know the living God. The one who sent his son. I have a passion in my heart and they don't want it. 
For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Pause for a quick second. What is he saying to the Romans? He's saying that you have an idea of God, but you've rejected his son. You've rejected his word. You, you want to live by doing good. It's not good enough anymore. You've showed up for the game, but you're sitting on the bench. This is something entirely different. He's saying you have it in your mouth, in your heart. You have Christ. Accept him. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What is the scripture saying to us? Paul is illustrating this grand picture of all of the people in Rome, all of the Jews that have believed, even the Gentiles who have not yet come to faith. He's saying it's so easy. It's in your mouth. And yet, how are they going to know unless you say something? How are they going to believe unless you've told them? How are they going to come to the church unless they've sent somebody out to go and gather the people? How are they going to play the game? How is that soul going to be won? How? Unless you show up. Unless it's more than just, I come to church. Do you know that the newest statistic that I could find, was 2016 wasn't great, but the newest statistic says this, that 10 to 25% of Christians tithe. 75%, which is great, pray. Kudos. 35% attend church. Christians, not just Christians. 34% read the Bible. 18% volunteer, and 16% attend a small group. Those last two, they hurt me. They pain me. Because the Great Commission, when, when Jesus left and the last thing he said is, go into all the nations and preach the gospel, I love that so much because it is not a great suggestion. It is a calling, not for one person, not for the most gifted, not for the person who is going to be the pastor on the stage. No, he says it to everyone. Go and make disciples of all the nations preaching the gospel. And how are they going to know? How is the lost person going to know that there's hope unless you say that there's hope? How is the person that's going through a divorce going to have peace? What about grief and loss? How are they going to have joy unless you pray with them and tell them that there's joy and peace? How are they going to know? Is it up to the pastor? Is it up to the church? Or is it up to us? Is it up to us to come into a crowd 
and cheer on somebody else. Oh, great, the church saw another person come to salvation. Yes, after a brutal battle with 18% of us fighting, 18%. Do you know how in school you were given a group project? (laughs) This is where I thrive, school. I'm good at school. You're given a group project, and there's like two spectrums. There is the person that's such a perfectionist that takes it all on because they want it to be really good, and they don't let anyone else help. And then there's the other side where it's like the night before, and no one has done anything. So you're like, fine, and you do all of it. Sometimes I feel like the 18% feel like that second category. No one is actually offered to help. They're just like, no one else is in kids, I'll go. Okay, sure, I'm not gifted and kids scare me, but yes, okay, here I am, Lord, send me into kids. 18%, 16% attend a small group. Why do I bring that up? Because it says to make disciples of all nations. None of us are above being a disciple. Jesus himself had 12 disciples. He had three that he had close. So constantly learning and growing and, and knowing more about God and his word and understanding it so we can actually speak it to people because, you know, that's, you know, how can they hear unless they've heard? That's on us, 16%. It grieves my heart because we in this generation, as in many generations, have a lot of spectators and we have a world that's dying because of it and how are they going to hear unless they've been told? 1 Corinthians says this, chapter 16, verse 1 through 4. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside something, store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I bet you're like, super cool verse. How does that have to do with anything? Let me tell you. What Paul is saying is this to the Corinth church. First of all, he's saying is you gather weekly. Just another, you know, sly little thing in there about how important it is to come to church weekly because there's something in it for you. As you gather weekly, store up your gift to send to Jerusalem. Now, it was customary in that day for Jews to send offerings or gifts gifts to the church in Jerusalem so that way all of the body of Christ could be empowered that they could do they can continue on but what Paul was saying is he says I want you to continue that tradition instead of sending it to the church in Jerusalem that you know does not identify Jesus as the Messiah I want you to continue to give weekly so that the Christian church the Christian Jewish churches they would call it would then thrive that they would be able to help not just their community but it says their saints the people in their church. How are we to have a youth pastor if we don't give, if 10 to 25% give? I might have stepped on toes. How are we to have a kid's pastor if 10 to 25% give? How are we to do anything of substantial impact on our community to see thousands saved if we don't even have a place for them, if we can't remodel the church the way that we need to to hold the people? How can we do it unless people give? How can we do it unless people speak? How can we have people come to church unless you ask them? How can somebody get saved unless they've been told that there's a savior? How? The last scripture I want to read is this. It's one of my most favorite. Actually, it's a huge chunk, so buckle up. I want to set the stage for it. In Hebrews, there's not actually a, an accredit of who authored this book. 
Some say it was Apollo. Some say Barnabas. They don't actually know. Uh, but they do know specific things that this author was talking to. In this particular portion, he's addressing something that happened in AD 49. It was the Roman Emperor Claudius. He was kicking out all of the Jews. He was kicking them out of their homes. He was selling all of their items. He was abusing them. He was killing many of them. Some suffered, not all suffered, but a lot did. And it was during this really just important time less than 50 years after Christ's death, less than 50 years. So such an incredible monumental thing happened in their life and then such a devastating one. They have no hope, they're hopeless. And the author of Hebrews, he pens this. Let's start in Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I'm going to continue on in a moment, but I want you to picture this. I want you to picture a worn out, tired, exhausted team that has been battling and fighting and fighting. That ball represents a soul, one soul, one soul that's worth it. All of the heartache, all of the practice, all of the plundering. And I want you to imagine millions watching, just watching. Wow, they're doing a great job down there. Wow, they should really should have done that differently. Wow, I can't believe that music was so loud in church today. I cannot believe they had one person for 20 kids. <laughs> I can't believe it either. <laughs> I can't believe it. Wow, that pastor Eber looks really tired. <laughs> I've heard that actually a few times. It makes me sad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are. And that's not a shame on us. I just came out of working a job that was 50, 60 hours a week, which is not a lot compared to some of you. And I remember telling my husband how devastated I was that I could volunteer one time a month and that was literally my cap. I could give no more. I was exhausted. Going to church and serving one time in kids ministry a month was all I could do. And I was heartbroken because my life is church. I love church with a passion. Pastoring is literally my calling. And God has asked me in that season to put my head down and work hard be hope and to speak peace and joy and truth to the employees that were surrounding me and to serve once a month. And that's hard. I get that. I understand that so much. I know that we carry a lot. I know that we carry grief and bitterness and I know that we carry past experiences that might have happened. I get it. I'm not immune to that and I'm not even saying it's me against you or 18% of us versus the rest of the crowd. No. My heart is that you would 
put on the jersey and get on the field. There are people struggling. This community is struggling. There are people in our midst, as Paul was talking about, taking care of the church itself. Look around. You never know what the person to the left or right of you is dealing with. People struggle daily. They hide it or they don't hide it. They share, they overshare, or they don't share. I'm an oversharer, it's fine. <laughs> Rich knows this about me. It's time to get in the game, though, because God is coming. God is coming, and I know that we've said that for years and decades, but he is. But look what he says. Look what the author pens in chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This comes right after, right after he talks about their destruction, right after he draws their attention to their utter dismay. He talks about faith. He talks about, yeah, I know, I know what you are going through is a lot, but you did it together those verses in the end of chapter 10, it talked about how they suffered together, how there was community around them, how they were maybe all out on the field or maybe suffering on the bench after an injury, but they were there together. They were still one team. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. By faith, Noah, verse 7. By faith, Abraham. These all died in faith, verse 13. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they have been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would not have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country a heavenly one. I don't know about y'all, but this place stinks. I almost said sucks, don't say. (laughs) This place stinks sometimes. Life is stinky. (laughs) And I'm not looking for this to be my reward. I'm looking for a heavenly one because there's a game plan. I'm going to make it to that finish line. I'm going to make it one day into heaven and hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You served the world as I did. But as it is, they desire a better country that is the heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Joseph, verse 22, by faith, Moses. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, verse 29. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish, verse 31. And what more shall I say, verse 32, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, because mighty in war, put foreign enemies to fight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Apart from us. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who? The people he just talked about. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did I read those? Their names, like players from the Super Bowl. They're people that did incredible things that people marvel at. Wow, I can't believe they did that. They're a part of our story. We may not know that. We may have forgotten them, but they are a part of why we're here today. By faith, Abraham, had he not done that, wouldn't be here. By faith, Joseph, by faith, Rahab had a left field. By faith, they made the way, prepared the way, all hands on deck, leaving everything that they had, not even receiving the thing that they had been promised. Because faith is not intention. Faith is obedience. Faith is action. Faith is moving forward with a thing that you cannot even see with your own eyes. Knowing and trusting and holding on to the promise of God. But what does it say at the very end? It talks about Jesus who for the joy set before him endured. This is our example. This is the thing that I love more than anything about serving in the church because we have Jesus as our example. Jesus led a small group. Just saying. Jesus served the church and in the church at a young age. I love it. I was in kids' church last week or two weeks ago, and I asked the kids, how do you want to get involved with the church? And they looked at me like, what? Do you want to run the computer? Do you want to give the message one week? Do you know one of the girls came up afterwards and said, do you mean that we could actually, you know, give the message? Yeah. You tell me when you'll be here and I'll give you the notes. Her eyes lit up. She can get involved and stop being a spectator because to her, church had been spectator. Church had been, I show up, they tell me something, I leave. For all of us, I'm asking that of God this year. What do you want from me? Faith is not just intention, it's obedience. It's saying, I hear what you want from me and I'm ready to do what you want of me. For the joy set before him. Who was the joy? Lost people. Lost people that needed a heavenly home. That's the joy. When you're surrounded by sinners who are sinning, shocker, they're the joy. When you have a workplace and Uh, somebody that's on your staff with you and they're struggling, you know what the joy is? Hey, can I pray with you today? Hey, I see or I heard that this is what's happening in your life. Can I pray with you or over you? Nah, that's okay. Okay. Well, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Check in on them. A commentator said this about Kobe Bryant's death. He said something to the effect of people will bring flowers to a funeral but not soup to a sick person. 
Ouch. I want to be the kind of person that emulated my Savior, that is seeing his example, who saw thousands upon thousands of faces of lost souls that would never make heaven unless he made a sacrifice, who, by the way, never saw the completion of that, just like all of the others in faith that did whatever they needed to do in faith. They never saw the promise come to pass. But I still want to give it my everything. I still want to get on the field. I still want to show up to church and to my workplace. I still want to show up because it's time, church, to show up. It's time to step out of our seats and do something because too long we've sat and we've watched others. Too long we've asked for God to send someone else or too long we focused on me. Although I'm hurting, I know, I know, life hurts. I get it so much, do I get that? We have endured a lot of loss. We've endured a lot of change with jobs. We've endured financial setbacks we've endured and it could be so easy to sit on a bench and say I did my time I played I put in a couple innings football has innings right I put in those quarters (laughs) I really tried oh it'd be so easy to say oh but now I'm broken now I'm going to just sit here for a while and that while turns into a few months and that months turns into a few years and God's been saying, I've been trying to heal you two years ago. Get off the bench. There's a ball on the field. There's a game being played. There's someone in your city, someone at your workplace that needs to hear that there's a Savior. There's someone out there that needs to be able to come in here with a crying child and hand them to a nursery worker because they need just one moment of peace. I was that mom, please. There's someone who needs to come into a building and see excellence that it was taken care of. All throughout scripture, God talks about how beautiful the tabernacles were, how intentional every piece of it was. Some of these churches, man, they've been forgotten, but God cares about those too. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in church, but God cares about buildings. I love that we all have different giftings and abilities. I love, I love taking care of food. I love serving it on plates for people and watching them eat it. That's weird, I know. I love making cupcakes and watching other people enjoy them and I hate cupcakes, but it's just so fun for me. I don't know what your gifting is. I saw Suede at the church doing carpentry, my father and Chris laying floors. I don't know what your gifting is. I've seen Jody and McKenna serve in the nursery and Ashley more than any other human because anytime someone is sick, they're the first person to volunteer. I've seen ushers come on hard days when they themselves are carrying the weight of the world. I've seen a worship team practice and practice and practice and hone in on the giftings that God has given them. I have seen so many people serve the body of Christ. And for all intents and purposes, I could say, wow, God, your church is doing an incredible thing. But God is saying it's still not 100%. There's still people sitting in the stands. If God is going to do something great, which I know that he will, in this city and in our lives, he needs 100% of us. Not 18 I think our church is more than 18. I'm going to just say we're above average. 
I'm just going to, I'm an overachiever, and I'm pretty sure we're above average on that one. But small groups and inviting a person to coffee. Look around. Who can you invite to lunch today before the game or over for the game? God needs all of us. Our names needed, need to be listed in that long list of those who stepped out in faith. Our names, your name, it should be listed there. What you do today, the action that you step out in faith is going to affect generations to come. You may not be a Kobe that has children jumping into ba- ba- whatever sport you played, basketball, <clears throat> that thing. But how you play the game sets an example for other believers. How you show up to church, your positivity, Junior, it affects so many people on their worst day when they come in. Not just people sitting in, but other volunteers. Man, what you do matters so, to so many people. Your name is written in the list. I want to do that. I want my name to be written in someone's list that is a part of their faith journey. And I want to see souls saved. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media to hear more about what God is doing through our church at Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo. For more information, visit canyonhills.com.